0: And welcome to another edition of Ready, Set, Retire, an audio guide packed with information, insight, and experiences for people who are planning for, about to, or already have retired. I'm John McComb, recently retired after a 50-year broadcast career, the past 36 years at CKNW Radio in Vancouver. I'm sitting down with my co-host, Lori Pinkowski, every other Friday to help answer the many questions that come up as you prepare to relax and devote some time to you and your new life. Lori is the founder of Pinkowski Wealth Management and is a senior vice president and senior portfolio manager at Canaccord Genuity. Lori Pinkowski, it is always great to talk to you. How are you?
1: I'm doing fantastic, John. How are you?
0: Excellent. And so great to be back with you here on episode six of Ready, Set, Retire. So I want you, first of all, to bring us up to date on what's been happening in the markets.
1: You know, markets have generally been moving higher over the past week or so. And a lot of that has to do with there is light volume out there, uh, but also uh, technology. There's some stocks have reported and beat earnings as of late, uh, Salesforce being one of them. Um also we've seen the Canadian market's lag over the last week with uh, gold coming down a bit uh, as well as other sectors including materials markets continue higher though in the US I think a lot has to do with COVID vaccines and the idea that we may get a vaccine before the end of the year um there's 165 vaccine candidates right now with 32 of these in human trials so a small number are already in phase 3 trials and so that's obviously very exciting for the market. Should we get a vaccine? I would say the markets are going to take off from there. And uh, I think what we're seeing today is people are just trying to position their portfolios for when that comes around.
0: From the way you've looked at things, when would you expect a vaccine to be available?
1: Well, again, available or approved, right? I think that's the question. What
0: one step at a yeah, time. Yeah, exactly.
1: Right? I think approval right. is the biggest thing. And I, you know, there's still a lot of concern though, when things are fast tracked as much as they are right now in terms of a vaccine, you know, you and I and everyone else will not know what the side effects of those vaccines will be for many, many years. So again, the first step is, especially in terms of markets is to find a vaccine. Uh, And then how long does it take to get to everybody? You know, none of us are safe if we all don't have it, I guess I would say. But in terms of when we'll see a vaccine, there is talk by the end of the year.
0: It's interesting. You mentioned all the various countries that are involved in research. And boy, oh boy, to the victor, I guess, go the spoils because it will be uh, just an unbelievable windfall, I think, for whoever creates the winning vaccine, as it were.
1: Of course, it'll be a huge accomplishment and someone's going to save the day here. And for the people who find that vaccine, that's going to be a major win and for the country. And of course, you know, we've got Canadians working on it as well. So we'll see what happens. But again, it will be a safer place for all of us once we find a vaccine.
0: Been watching what's been happening in the states with their stimulus negotiations in Congress, and they just can't agree on anything, it seems, especially, I guess, in an election year. But what is that going to mean for uh, people going forward?
1: Yeah, I think they can't agree on the stimulus measures going forward because they're trying to make it about the election in a way, right? And so they're putting kind of a big argument together, one party against the other and what they're trying to accomplish and all these sorts of things. Meanwhile, you know, we got to, as I said last time, you know, you got to make sure food is on the table for people who have lost their jobs and still can't find work and all those sorts of things. You know, whether it's the U.S. or whether it's Canada, what we have seen, I mean, they're trying to figure out some sort of plan on how to kind of scale back stimulus in a way. And I I just don't know that anyone's ready for that at at this point, especially with the possibility of a second surge in fall or during flu season and, and so on. So. It will be interesting to see if they can come to an agreement in the U.S. and to see how Canada deals with the situation going forward into fall and winter as well.
0: Well, I know that there's uh, talk of more money coming from Ottawa. I guess the uh, printing presses are running overtime there at the Bank of Canada. It seems to me that the the government's got itself in a position where it can't just kind of stop and say, "Okay, everybody's on unemployment because that's going to leave a whole bunch of people not eligible and falling through the cracks.
1: Exactly. And what I would say is I I don't think there's any plan to turn off the taps per se, but I think they're going to have to have some sort of plan longer term in order to scale it back and and things like that. But uh, I don't think that's exactly at this point. So it'll be interesting to see what they come up with over the coming weeks and months. and And again, how long they can support the economy this way, because if it wasn't for that, yeah, I've spoken to many business owners that if, the, you know, there wasn't a wage subsidy and things like that, it would be very difficult to continue on for their business. And of course, that is the you know, the heart of the economy is small and medium-sized businesses. So we want to see that continue. What I can say back in 2009, when there was big bailouts happening, too big to fail, all those sorts of things, they didn't turn off the taps until they were safe to do so. Yeah. And I think they learned a lot from that situation back then. Thinking back here in March, how quickly the government acted and uh, to provide support to the economy and to people and so on. So I believe that stimulus will continue until things are, are a bit safer out there.
0: And before we leave the markets, you wanted to mention the performance of Canadian banks.
1: It's a, kind of a mixed bag. But what we are seeing is that revenues are down uh, basically across the board. Profits are down for some banks as much as 20 to 40 percent. So That's a huge decline. And what we're seeing is an increase, again, for loan loss provisions going into the third quarter. And what that means is that they're just not confident that people are going to be able to pay their payments on time in terms of whether it's mortgages or loans or whatever it may be. And so that is really a worry because, again, the Canadian banks uh, kind of are the barometer of the Canadian economy. And if they're not doing as well as we expect then that could hurt uh, the economy going forward. And they're less likely to loan people money and things like that. So we're definitely watching it. But I guess part of it too in the last quarter is that we saw whether it's trading and investments and things like that, that provided more revenue to the banks as the markets rebounded. So it wasn't all bad news, I guess I would say. And I think when analysts are looking at the bank performance of their earnings reports, that it wasn't as bad as expected and things are actually getting better, dare I say, uh, in terms of the banks. But when you look at the sectors, again, it's still down quite a bit year to date. I mean, you've got a lot of bank stocks down still anywhere between, you know, down 12 to 18% year to date. So it's still not a great sector to be in. I still think there's a lot of uncertainty there. So again, we choose to step aside from uh, the bank sector at this time.
0: Okay, let's move along. And the first question off the top is about conservative portfolios. Now, I think conservative means different things to different people, especially when it comes to their portfolio. But in your mind, what is a conservative portfolio?
1: I think a conservative portfolio is just, again, not wanting a lot of volatility. It's normal for retirees. You want to earn a steady return. Uh, You're not trying to hit the ball out of the park you usually have some sort of mix of money market or GICs, uh, bonds, as well as conservative stocks. You know, when I talk to retirees, again, one of their biggest fears is losing a lot of money in any given year, as it could affect your retirement, obviously, long term. So you need to be careful when choosing your advisor and always asking them about their strategy so that you're prepared for any sort of correction in the future. And you should also talk to your financial advisor about expectations. What would happen to your portfolio? Should the markets have another correction, whether it's minor or whether it's a major correction? Like what could you expect from your portfolio? And I think that's really important to have those conversations. And so a conservative portfolio is what we build for clients. Obviously, most of our clients are retired or close to retired. So we always are, are thinking about risk management and how to protect them in a down market. Because even though things have been fantastic over the last 100 days, as we know that that can change quickly and you need to be prepared for when that shift happens.
0: Wait, I can just, I can just hear a chant outside. Uh, uh, Oh, uh, people want dividends. People want dividends. What's this all about? People want dividends.
1: I I feel like I'm asked this question uh, (laughs) multiple times a week about dividends. It's like, I don't know if there's some articles floating around lately going, you should own dividends in a bad market. And so I have so much to say about dividends. We definitely want to focus portfolios on dividends. There are many stocks that pay dividends. There's some that don't or don't pay high dividends. We don't avoid them though, because they don't pay a high dividend. When you think of, you know, Amazon and uh, some of the others out there, Salesforce, when I just mentioned, I mean, they've had great performance, but their dividends aren't very high. So, you know, I do have the same conversation, I feel over and over again about dividend paying stocks. So I thought it would be a good time to touch on it. So dividends are only good if the underlying company is healthy and the dividend is safe. Plus they have to be in the right sector. So creating a kind of a portfolio of just, you know, dividend paying stocks may not be the best idea, especially this year in 2020 a lot of the areas that pay dividends are the worst performing sectors year to date when you think of financials as i was saying are down on average somewhere between 15 and 20% you've got energy stocks um some of those pay dividends and the, and year to date they could be down 30 to 40% these are not areas that you want to be in even real estate investment trusts are down significantly this year and a lot of those areas, you know, when you think of pipelines, real estate investment trusts, even telecommunication stocks haven't done that particularly well. They're paying the dividend, but uh, the stocks may be down either, you know, somewhat or significantly. So you need to make sure that you're in the right sector and it's not just about the dividend. I also get uh, questions about, well, you know, if I create a side account with five dividend paying stocks, I should do well. Well, if you pick the right five stocks, then you, you might, um, but yeah. that's the point of having a diversified portfolio. Usually a portfolio should have, uh, you know, 20, 30 stocks in the portfolio so that you're fairly diversified. And again, dividends are a good thing. We like them, but we don't just rely completely on the dividend for the return. Remember, you need that uh, stock to also go up in price in order for you to have good portfolio performance.
0: I have a question for you, a wise guru financial person. How is it that a company, and I won't mention any names, but how is it that a company can watch its stock just plummet down and have real sales problems during COVID-19, being laying off people and still paying dividends to shareholders? It seems strange to me.
1: Rarely would you see a dividend increase if a company is under that much pressure you'll see them continue the dividend. And for us, we'll look at that and go, is this gonna continue the way it is or are they gonna decrease their dividend, which of course would be negative also for the stock price. And so, you know, most companies have cash reserves, they could be paying the dividend out of there. At the end of the day, you're hoping that the company has profits and that's why you're getting the dividend that you're getting. So if that has changed, again, because of any given situation, whether it was a financial crisis, whether it's a crash of oil, whether it's COVID, Again, you have to, or we do as a portfolio management team, take a look at all of our companies and we want to make sure that that dividend is safe going forward. So when you start seeing dividend yields, as we say, of, you know, six, seven, eight percent on something, a lot of the time you need to be careful because um, something could be wrong with that particular stock. So again, you just have to do your homework or have a financial advisor that does the homework for you. Probably a better idea. This market is difficult. It has been difficult for people to navigate on their own, so you definitely want a qualified, experienced person doing that for you during these times.
0: Speaking of bad and boring GIC portfolios, no, you go ahead and have a chat, and I'm just going to have a snooze over here while you talk about GICs.
1: <laughs> so GIC portfolios, and again, I you know I don't mean to attack them completely, but essentially I've been saying this for years. Is that? GICs, yes, they don't fluctuate. You don't see your portfolio decline. But the fact of the matter is, is they're paying kind of 1% or less at this time. And in a non-registered, so a non-RSP, non-RIF account, where you pay taxes on that interest that you're getting, after inflation, you are guaranteed to lose money on a GIC portfolio. There's no other way to look at it. So you may feel secure that you're not part of the stock market, but at the end of the day you're not doing anything for yourself in terms of a long-term investment strategy. So, it's okay to hide in GICs once in a while or as we do move to cash when there's uncertainty in markets, but if you're one of those people who has, you know, 100% of your portfolio in GICs, then you want to start looking at how you can kind of change that strategy and maybe invest slowly into conservative stocks, maybe add some bonds just to get a better return to at least stay above inflation at this time. Otherwise, again, you know, no matter how much money you have, you want to make sure that you have enough that will take you to the end of your days. But it's not always just about you. You want to make sure that if you do have even a significant sum of money, that it's managed properly so that you leave money to your beneficiaries, to your children, to your grandchildren. And so just sitting in a GIC portfolio for a long, long time is definitely not a winning investment strategy.
0: Can you actually make money in GICs? With the taxes, with as, as, as little interest as they pay. No,
1: you can't at this time. Maybe in a RIF account, if you had a GIC in there, you'd be making that one percent right now. You would be paying tax on it, but inflation again is still two percent plus right now. So at this point, GICs are losing investment, and whether you divest out of GICs right at this point, you know, as markets have come higher, you know, like I said, it depends on the type of advisor you're going to and the strategy that they have to deal with volatility. And you have to have a discussion with them because GICs are definitely very different than investing in markets or investing in bonds even. It doesn't mean the asset classes that are outside of the GIC realm are bad. You know, don't look at the stock market as a bad place to be. Don't look at bonds as a bad place to be. You just got to be in the right areas at the right time. And again, uh, look at your GIC portfolio over many, many years, and it probably has not done nearly as well as the stock market has.
0: What about buying and holding a Canadian heavy portfolio?
1: Yeah, you know, I continue to see this and it just shocks me beyond belief that there's people that come to us and they're still in 70, 80 percent in Canadian stocks. And I'm like, this game changed a long time ago. In terms of holding Canadian equities versus US equities, I mean, you can go back a decade and it was still much better to be owning US stocks in the long run. And I think that's going to continue. And the problem I have with, you know, Canadian heavy portfolios is that the sectors you're most likely to have in there are financials and energy stocks. And what have I been talking about, John? Those are not the sectors to be in. So if you have a high exposure to Canadian equities, you definitely will have a high exposure to those sectors, most likely. So you you have to take a look at the portfolio and see what's in there. But if you're seeing a lot of the Trans-Canada pipelines and the banks and other energy companies and real estate investment trusts, again, remember I was saying, those areas make up a big portion of our stock market here in Canada. And so you likely have had performance that has underperformed a lot of other funds, a lot of other portfolios. And so if you want to get your portfolio back on track, you're going to have to make changes to that. You can't just sit in the Canadian markets hoping that things will get better because in the short term, I just don't see that's going to happen. You need to be diversified. You need to have access to big companies like Walmart and Costco and Amazon and Microsoft and Google. We just don't have those companies up here. So by diversifying and having U.S. holdings, in my opinion, is going to create a, a better portfolio for yourself and, and also a safer one going forward.
0: Why would people be inclined to be in a Canada-heavy portfolio? Is it is it loyalty? Is it patriotism? What is it?
1: I don't think it's patriotism. I think financial advisors can get a little lazy. And I think that this buy-and-hold approach, unfortunately, affects many people in Canada. And so they were in kind of this, you know, basket of the top 30 Canadian stocks back in 2007 or 2012 or whatever it was, and they continue to hold the same basket. Well, the world has changed many times over since then. So you got to change with it. You know, top 30 stocks here in Canada have not performed very well compared to other areas uh, in the world, in the US, in terms of sectors. So again, it's just about being proactive as a portfolio manager a financial advisor making sure that your clients are in the right areas and making changes along the way so i think that's what happens john i i honestly when i see some of these portfolios i just don't think there's been many changes over the years to get people properly positioned where they need to be and i would say over the last six months Is probably one of the most important times that we have had to position clients properly because we knew we're going to be headed into a recession we knew the world had changed Uh, we're in a different environment and there's companies that are going to do well in this environment there's companies that won't and canadian markets have definitely suffered because of this and uh, the u.s markets have a lot more opportunity that we've seen and of course currency can be an issue too as the u.s dollars come down over the last you know two months but Still, the stocks that we're in and the companies that we own are doing well, and I feel will continue to do well in this environment.
0: Why do people stay in boring but bad portfolios? I mean, you touched on it a little bit there, but it would seem to me that, especially since 2008, let alone the last six months, that you're just not paying attention if you are kind of sitting back and just letting it all happen. I just It boggles my mind that someone wouldn't be more hands-on in their portfolio and demanding that they be in a better position
1: well again you usually go to a financial advisor and you're hoping that they're proactive enough to make those changes in your portfolio so that you don't have to go to them i think in you know in these boring but bad portfolios i think people have a false sense of safety They recognize these names, you know, they're not going to go to zero. They feel okay, you know, holding some of those big Canadian names. But is that the best place where they should be? And as I've said, and, you know, made numerous arguments against that, just feeling safe because you recognize the names sometimes isn't the best investment strategy either. You know, if people saw their portfolio decline substantially during the crash, but it hasn't yet recovered, this is another one. If you're still down significantly year to date from January till now, you likely are in the wrong areas. So again, that's a reason to bring up a conversation with an advisor or look for a new one. If you're in one of these kind of portfolios that I'm suggesting, whether it's all GICs or whether it's too much Canadian or whether it's in dividend paying stocks, but in these underperforming sectors, you need to do something about it because just buying and holding some of these areas is just not going to work for you long term, in my opinion. And you need a strategy to deal with this next phase of the situation, right? We're not out of COVID. We're not out of this pandemic. We're dealing with it. We're living alongside it. And uh, you just, again, need to be proactive about what's happening. You know, make sure that portfolio is being actively managed. And, you know, boring is not as bad as it sounds, I guess. Boring can be good is why people are okay with it. But it's the bad part you got to be careful of because if you don't rebound with this market, or you have a significant decline, or if you're in the wrong sectors, that can affect your retirement long-term. So again, have a talk with a financial advisor. Make sure that uh, you're positioned properly to deal with today's markets.
0: We always like to end on a final thought, a little gem, a little nugget of something we can think about until we talk again in a couple of weeks.
1: Retirement, a time to look back with admiration. A time to look forward with anticipation.
0: Oh, I like that. That's a
1: good one. Yeah, Yeah. it is a good one, isn't it, John? Yeah, I know. There's a lot of good quotes out there that we should live by, especially uh, for those in retirement. You know, this is a time to enjoy life, although I know it's different than what you had expected. But like I've said before, you know, the world will get over this and we will move on and retirement will be just as fun as it was before.
0: And we will be back in a couple of weeks to talk more about it. Great to talk to you again. You as well, John. Thanks, Lori. If you want more information or have any questions, please don't hesitate to call Lori and her team at Pincowski Wealth Management. 604-695-LORI. 604-695-5674. For Lori Pinkowski, I'm John McComb. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Ready, Set, Retire.